Father, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us praise the name of God with a song. Let us magnify him with our thanksgiving. Let us pray. Eternal, almighty God, who is beyond our own conceiving, you are not some idea or being that we have created. Instead, you have created us, and we rightly worship you. We join now with that heavenly host, with the angels who veil their faces in your presence. We join them in worship of you. And with lowly reverence and adoring love, we acclaim your glory. We sing your praise, for you have shown us your salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Come among us now by your Holy Spirit, that our worship would not be in vain. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our hymn is number 115, All Creatures of Our God and King.
psalmist gives words to us as we come to the Lord to confess our sin. O Lord, be gracious to us, heal us, for we have sinned against you. Let us pray together. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. And so behold us by your Spirit, that we may live and serve you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I declare to you, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that all those who have faith in him and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Holy people of God, our Lord taught his disciples and commanded them to love one another. This is the love of Christian community. He's not just speaking about a private, personal love, but as a, as a community, there's to be a love. It's love one another, so there has to be the other. It's a command that you cannot obey without each other. Acts gives us an example of such love when it tells us that the early Christians had all things in common. Some people have taken that to sort of, they want to read something like socialism or communism into that. And without any commentary on these political views, that's not really what was in play there. What was in play there was this one another, caring for one another, sharing things in common, helping each other, distributing their goods to whoever had need. We love one another when we look out for one another, when we help each other, when we give to each other, and when we sacrifice ourselves for each other. And there are plenty of examples of of this other kind of love, other kinds of love in this world, such as a self-oriented kind of love, a love that prioritizes yourself. But that's, again, not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Instead, we are to have a love that is prioritizes the other. And this begins with our love for God. He is the other for us. Uh, he's the one who first came to us, loved us first, and then we respond in love to him. And that defines our love as we begin to love each other. It's a love for the other more than for ourselves. So we are to love one another as Christ has taught us and not prioritize ourselves and, and focus on our self-love. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 97, We Praise You, O God, Our Redeemer, Creator. Escape, you will make us, and with your help, oh 
Let us be united in heart and mind to bring our prayers and petitions to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you defend the righteous, you deliver the weak, you do not give up on us. Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, has come, he has stood with us. He who is poor and meek, falsely accused, he who suffered unjustly, has united himself with us and therefore made us your beloved children. And you, O Father, defended him. You vindicated him by raising him up. And so we who have faith in Jesus Christ are your vindicated people by virtue of our union with him. As your holy servants, bound to Christ by the Holy Spirit, hear our prayers for all people, believers and unbelievers, and for your precious church. We beseech you, Lord, to keep order and just law in all nations. We especially pray for the nation in which we live and for all those who are in positions of authority. For Joe Biden, our president, for Debbie Stabenow, Gary Peters, our senators, for Gretchen Whitmer, our governor. We also pray for the judges in the land. We ask that you would restore and preserve a knowledge of what is right and wrong that you would maintain an integrity to do what is right even when it is unpopular, and that the law, that you would uh, ensure that the law be administered with justice. We pray as well for justice and social order in this nation. And, O Lord, we ask that you would de-escalate the tension between the United States and Russia and China. Stop as well the aggression of Russia in Ukraine. Hear our prayers. Hear us as we join our prayers with these. We ask you to bless with the gospel those who hate us as Christians. May they continue to hear the gospel during this time while we wait for the return of Jesus Christ. May they see our love. We pray you would give us grace not to treat them like they treat us. Visit them with your saving grace so that they might truly repent and receive the same forgiveness of Jesus Christ that we have received. In that way, may they be of one accord with your church. Hear our prayers for those who have opposed us, hated us, been against us, those who come to mind. Father of all mercies, grant success to the missionary work of the church. We pray for Christopher Verdick, James Fulkert, Leah Hopp, Tina DeYoung in Uganda, the families of, of some of these, and for the churches there where they work. Give them good rest and health, patience and humility, and may the gospel of Jesus Christ be taught and preached and heard by more and more people so that your church would grow. 
And may these who serve you give themselves up in the name of Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers for those in missionary work. Blessed God, do tend to your beloved people here. Remember us, O Lord, who sometimes become fearful and confused and do not remember you and your ways as we should. We pray for those who are in poor health or those with needs that are great. We pray for Eduardo, Luca, Frida, Julie, Michael, Jeff, Fawn, and our friends, Becky, and for Tammy and her family, for Karen and Angie, Tom, Phil, Bob, Gladys, Dominic, and others we name to you in silence. Look upon them with your mercy, grant them faith, comfort them with the knowledge of your goodness, preserve them from the temptations of the enemy, and give them patience under their affliction. In good time, restore them to health and strength, and enable them to lead the remainder of their lives in reverence of you and to your glory. Prepare each of us for our impending death, and teach us to die well, and to know the things worth dying for. And no matter what our age, help us to be prepared as people who, who love you and trust you in life and death. Grant that finally we may dwell with you in life everlasting. Give to us what we need daily. We thank you for the opportunities we have to participate in Christ's mission as your holy community in the midst of this world and to bear witness to him in word and deed. Give, a, give to us boldness and compassion in service to Christ, and we ask for more wisdom on how to do this. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, and who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
to the glory of your blessed name. Amen. Please be seated. And please join with me as we pray for God's illumination on our time together. Oh, Heavenly Father, from uh, the beginning of time, you have had the words of eternal life. And we thank you for bringing us here this morning and for giving us a chance to open your word and to hear your words But we know that we can only understand them and um, absorb them and be blessed by them by the work of your Spirit. And so we pray that your Spirit would be with us to open our minds and open our hearts and to truly understand and take to heart what you would have us uh, glean this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our first reading is from Genesis, starting with Genesis 1-1 and continuing through the chapter to verse 4 of chapter 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater lights to rule the day 
and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, in which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and every living thing that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there were evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. And you waters above the heavens. For he commanded and they were created. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. You great sea creatures and all deeps, stormy wind fulfilling his word, fruit trees and all cedars, 
creeping things and flying birds. Princes and all rulers of the earth, old men and children, for his name alone is exalted. He has raised up a horn for his people, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. We turn from Genesis to the other end of the Bible for our epistle reading from Revelation, chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." Finally, our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The word of the Lord. 
Psalm 148 is a psalm of praise, and it has two parts. The first part is a summons to everything in the heavens. Verse 1 says, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. And then it names some of the things in the heavens. The second part of the psalm shifts to the earth. Verse 7 says, praise the Lord from the earth. And then it goes on and names a variety of things that dwell on the earth, in the water around the land, and in the sky above the land. The psalm gets to the heart of what Israel did and what the church does. And of course, we continue to praise the Lord today. However, praise of God can have different meanings for us. When I grew up, there were some members in our church who formed a group that they called a prayer and praise meeting. It met on Saturday evenings. These were actually fairly popular back in the 1970s, prayer and praise. My parents were involved, and they took me to these meetings with them. The group had a loose leadership, so there was somebody who sort of organized it, and there were a couple people who played guitars and things, but uh, it seemed to like, it just seemed to have sort of a democratic feel to it. It began by singing several praise songs, which were contemporary songs that stirred up one's feelings. Many of these songs were addressed to God. Some of them were more about being a Christian. As people in the group sang, they began to close their eyes and drift into the closeness that they felt with God. Each person was having their own intimate experience of God in their praises of him. For many Christians, praise the Lord goes inward. Now, as much as we might think that this experience of praise to the Lord is our own experience, it is part of a grand narrative. A grand narrative is an overarching framework that gives meaning to our life, and every single one of us has, has been influenced by them, has some kind of a narrative that, that, that gives meaning to our life, probably more than one. And there are many different kinds of narratives in the world today in our own society. Every religion, every religion has an overarching narrative to it. But it's not only religions that have an overarching framework that gives meaning to life. There are many other sources of overarching narratives in society. There is the narrative of nihilism, which says there is no meaning in life, and so it would seem like that isn't really a narrative, but it is. Ironically, the narrative of meaninglessness does give its own meaning for living in this world. There's a certain way of living if you think the world is meaningless. You, it gives meaning to, your, to how you live. There's also the narrative of oppression. There's the narrative of science. There's the narrative of therapy. There's the narrative of climate change. These are all uh, can become overarching narratives that give meaning to how we understand life, understand our own lives, how we should live. All of these offer an overarching framework that gives some kind of meaning. And the question is, is the narrative coherent and does it make sense of the world? Now, going inward in ourselves when we praise the Lord fits the modern narrative of the self. The narrative of the self is focused on inwardness, on the inner psychological life. It prioritizes the individual's inner psychology, our feelings, our intuitions, for our sense of who we are and what the purpose of our life is. This narrative is suspicious of things outward, outward forms, outward structures. It believes that these kind of things, these outward structures, hold back the true and authentic self, that self that's inside of us. It holds it back from expressing itself. 
So outward forms are sort of like putting the self into a constrained box, and that inhibits the self from being authentic, from being free to, to fully express itself. The self is that interior part of us that the modern narrative of the self believes is at the heart of who we are. It's what is inside of us that matters more than the, than the things outside of us. Anything that suppresses the self keeps us from being authentic. And therefore, authentic praise must come from the self. It cannot come from the organized institutions and structures around us. According to the narrative of the self, worship in the church can be confining. You all right now, according to that narrative, uh, could be experiencing some confinement to, your, um, to the free expression of yourself in its praise to God. Because you've come to a worship service and you know the liturgy. You come here, you know exactly how it's going to go. That actually helps you learn it and, and know, join into those things that the church has always been saying, like the Lord's Prayer and the Creed and, and the doxology, all of that. You participate all, in all of that. But for the narrative of the self, that's confining because it's restrictive because it, it kind of it sets parameters for what we're doing here in worship. Therefore, as much as possible, according to the narrative of the self, Christian worship needs to free each self to praise God inwardly, not follow these outward forms. And sometimes this narrative leads to not wanting to praise the Lord with the church at all. Other ways are preferred to express praise to God, such as creating a playlist of favorite Christian music and listening to it while driving in the car or taking a walk in the park and maybe singing some kind of a, a tune that you know, but not joining the church in worship. Is there anything wrong with praising God when you are alone? I have to bring that up. No. I want you to hear me on that. The problem is with prioritizing the inner self over what is outside of us. If we find meaning for praising the Lord in the grand narrative of the self, then even though our praise to the Lord is offered to God, there's this priority of directing it back around into our inward self or inward selves. It's not that our feelings and intuitions are not important, They're part of who we are. It's whether they should have priority for our praise to the Lord. The narrative of the self for praise of God can even go so far as to mean that we Christians don't need to praise the Lord. If the self is not interested in praising the Lord, whether privately or in the church, then we can just opt out of it. The idea might be that belief is enough. I believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus died to deliver me from my sin and reconcile me to God, and that's what matters, not praise. And in practice, this leads to not speaking out our praise to God, which is what Psalm 148 does. The narrative of the self is not where Christians get their meaning for their praise of God. It's a very strong narrative in our society, but that's not where we get the meaning for our praise of God. And it's not like we sit down and think about these things. We just sort of pick it up. It's in the atmosphere, the environment around us, and we absorb it. We get our meaning for praise of the Lord from the narrative of Scripture. Psalm 148 is set in that great overarching narrative of Scripture. And that grand narrative goes like this. It starts with the creation story. God created everything in the heavens and the earth. 
And we heard this from our Old Testament lesson in Genesis. And he created the human pair, male and female, as his premier creation over everything else. The man and the woman sinned against God, and the human race, along with the whole creation, fell into sin. God judged humanity's sin, but he made a promise to Abraham that through his offspring, through Abraham's offspring, he, God, would bless the world. In faithfulness to his promise, God created Israel. He freed his people from slavery in Egypt, and he made a covenant with them. In due time, he established them in the promised land. Israel sinned against God, and God judged them for their sin, but he remained faithful to bless the world with his salvation as he promised Abraham. He fulfilled his promise by sending his son, Jesus Christ, in order to save us. And Jesus accomplished our salvation by his ministry, death, resurrection from the dead, ascension into heaven, and pouring out his Holy Spirit upon us. In doing so, he created the church and sends us out into the world to serve him. Now, that is a concise, and you may think, well, he should have mentioned this or that. It's a concise version of the grand Christian narrative that Scripture gives us. And it gives meaning to this world, and it gives meaning to our lives as Christians. It helps us understand who we are and what we're all about in this world. In essence, it is an overarching framework that can be even reduced a little bit more to creation, fall into sin, and redemption. It's a narrative that has been told again and again, and it has made its way into our society, at least it has in the past, in novels and movies and personal stories, even from people who are not Christian. They often are working with that framework because it's given meaning to their life, even though they don't identify it directly with Jesus Christ. Embedded in that grand narrative, which I've just told you is in contrast to the narrative of the self, embedded in that grand narrative of Scripture is praise to the Lord. When God formed Israel into a nation, he required praise from his people. Deuteronomy 10 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cleave to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrible things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven for, the mul- uh, for multitude. The Lord also commanded the people of Israel to build a tabernacle. Remember in Exodus, a sacred place where God would meet with his people. And with that tabernacle, there were to be priests So God gave directions in the second half or later part of Exodus about how to build the tabernacle and then how to uh, designate the priests, what tribe they were from, how to dress them, all of that. So the priests were to to administer the sacrifices and they were to lead the people in worship and praise of the Lord. Israel offered its praise with its offerings to God. Their offerings functioned in different ways. There were different kinds of offerings they gave according to to the covenant of God. But um, they they were offered in different ways. But one of them was praise. One of them was an offering of praise. For example, Leviticus 19 says, The fourth year produce from newly planted fruit trees is an offering of praise to the Lord. They weren't to eat it. They were to bring it and present it to the Lord as an offering. When Israel was settled, King David moved the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and he established choirs of priests to sing praises to God on behalf of Israel. It's almost like they were guilds. They were um, 
not unions, but they were uh, formed together with a specific task, and they were actual choirs. First Chronicles mentions two such priests who were given to this work in the choir. Heman and Jedithan had trumpets and cymbals for the music and instruments for sacred song. So these priests were helping uh, assist the singing and the choir uh, in, the, in the temple. Uh, well, with, with the ark that eventually would be transferred into the temple. Praise to the Lord became a regular part of Israel's worship in the temple, and it was directed by the priests. And it was for such praise that many of the psalms were composed. <clears throat> many, if not all of the psalms, were being used in Israel's worship. And there are certain, there's a certain type of psalm called psalms of praise, such as Psalm 148. It's a psalm of praise, a certain type of psalm. Praise, <clears throat> praise to the Lord in the narrative of Scripture continues with Jesus Christ. So it is set forth for Israel. It is something that they were to practice as they worship God. And then it continues in the narrative of Scripture with Jesus Christ. Not only did the angels burst into song when Jesus was born, but Jesus himself sings praise to the Lord with his disciples at the Last Supper on his way to the cross. And you heard that reading in Matthew 26. Our gospel lesson says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, this wasn't just a random chance thing. At the end of the celebration of the Passover meal, it was a standard part of that practice, that liturgy, to sing one of the Hallel Psalms. And the, psalms, the Hallel Psalms that were sung at the end of Passover were Psalms 115 to 118. Hallel is the Hebrew word for praise. And most of them end, if you look them up, most of them, all but one of them, ends with the line, praise the Lord. Jesus Christ created his church, and it has continued to sing praise to the Lord ever since. And that's what we heard in our lesson from Revelation. The church's worship is before the throne of God, and it sings, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you did create all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And the church continues to praise the Lord to this day. All of our hymns this morning, most of them anyway, are heavy with praise to the Lord. In our standard liturgy, the first hymn is called a hymn of adoration, and it focuses on praising the Lord. Just, that's just how we begin our worship, with praise to the Lord. The overarching scriptural narrative of God's creation and salvation contains praise to the Lord in it. So that's that narrative, and, and like I said, embedded deeply in it is praise to the Lord. But why must we praise the Lord? And the answer may, not, may or may not be obvious to us. In general, people today have lost sight of why they should praise the Lord. Even in the church, if you were to ask Christians that question, I'm not sure. I think I'm, I'm confident you all could answer that. But I'm not sure every Christian could. Why do we praise the Lord? Those who answer that, the Christians who aren't sure how to praise that, perhaps are not relying on the grand narrative of Scripture to give meaning to their praise. Instead, they look within themselves, and whenever we look in ourselves, especially in our society, what do we find there? Well, we often find boredom and a quest for happiness. So if you ask somebody in general why they should praise the Lord, they may not really be able to answer that. As they see it, praise to the Lord contributes to the boredom 
They think to themselves, we need to spice up our life, not sing these old songs about, how, about who God is and what he's done for us. What does that do for me? That's often what we hear from people who, who go to Christian worship and they come out and go, you know, that didn't do anything for me. Well, that's the narrative of the self speaking. Psalm 148 does answer the question, why must we praise the Lord? And it reflects on one part of the grand narrative of Scripture, and that's God's creation. Okay, so I gave you this over the sort of the, the concise version of that grand narrative, and this psalm focuses on one part of it, God's creation. The first part of the psalm speaks of God creating the heavens and everything in them. And this resonates with the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Psalm 148 addresses the sun, the moon, and the stars. These are described in Genesis as chapter 1 as the rulers in the heavens. And the perspective of the psalm is that there are levels in the heavens, maybe multiple heavens, and they're all summoned to praise the Lord. The psalm also, in its ancient view, speaks to the waters above the earth that are held back by God's firmament. If you go back and read on your own Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that there where God creates the expanse, the firmament, to separate the waters that are above from the waters that are below. And so there's this idea of this this kind of arcing expanse or firmament that keeps the waters up there. When the ancient Israelites looked up into the heavens, they saw the blue. When they looked out into the Mediterranean Sea, what did they see? Blue, water, water. What keeps that water from pouring down over us like it did in the flood? Well, the expanse of God's providence keeps it above. That's how they saw it, and that's how the psalm speaks. So it looks up and it sees the blue waters above the earth, and these waters are also to praise the Lord. Verse 5 of the psalm says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. This takes us back to the creation story in Genesis, right, where he commanded it, which has the refrain each day of the creation, and God said, and God said, and God said, and then whatever he said happens. Psalm 148 calls God's creative word a command. The things that God created, he gave a place in his creation. Verse 6 says, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. There's another way to translate that. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. So he created these things and gave them a place in his creation. The creatures in the heavens have a place and a purpose. God created everything in the heavens. He's their creator, and therefore it is right for them to praise him. God gave them existence. And without his creative power, they would not exist. And that's the reason to praise them, praise him. And it's the same with the things on the earth. The second part of the psalm addresses the things that abide on the earth. And it follows the creation story in Genesis, moves through the different regions of place below the heavens, the waters around the earth where the sea creatures swim, the air above the earth where lightning and hail and snow and mist and wind all swirl around. There are the mountains and the hills on the dry land, and the psalm summons all that lives in them to praise the Lord. The trees of various sorts, the wild beasts, the domesticated livestock, things that crawl on the earth, things that soar above it, all of them are to praise the Lord. God gave them a place and purpose in his creation. And all of these things exist because God created them, and therefore they rightly praise the Lord. Following along with the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, the psalm draws down to the people of the earth. 
Genesis 1 sets the man and the woman on the earth and its creatures. It sets them among his creatures. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In the creation story, the human pair are supreme in God's creation. So there, is all, there are all these other things that have been created, but the supreme created creature, the supreme creature is uh, the man and the woman. They have authority over the rest of the creation. They have a responsibility for it, unlike any of the other creatures. And yet humanity is also one of God's creatures, so it's not like they've been created and turned into gods. They are still creatures, and they only exist because God has given them existence. Or maybe I should put it into the first-person plural, that we only exist because God has given us existence. So even though we're supreme in his creation, we're still his creatures, and we exist because he gave us place and existence in his world. There are other reasons to praise the Lord. God's redemption, of course, you could even say is a greater reason than our creation. That's another one, and that's very much a part of this overarching narrative of Scripture. But the psalm is focused on creation. And Psalm 148 is tied into the creation part of the narrative of Scripture. You can see how easily and how well it connects with Genesis chapter 1. Now, what's provocative about the psalm is that it talks about stars and wind and trees and beasts and these other things giving praise to the Lord. Now, we have no trouble understanding how people give praise to God, but the firmament above the earth, the snow, the cedars, the cedar trees, the insects, how do they praise the Lord? They're not human. Some of them may have their ways of communication, but it's simple and it's not organized in such a way as to gather together in order to speak the language of praise to God. By summoning all of the creatures to praise the Lord, Psalm 148 prompts an important question from us. How do the creatures of this earth give praise to God? Now, one answer to this question is that they give praise to God by doing what they were created to do. Trees are created to grow up and spread out the roots. They hold the soil. With their branches, they offer space for the birds to build nests. Their flowers and fruit provide food for animals. Their leaves add beauty to the landscape and provide oxygen for the animals and for us to breathe. God created the trees to do these things, and by doing what God purposed for them, they're giving praise to God. You see? And there's a little bit of a hint of this in verses 5 and 6 of the psalm. Verse 5 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, and then for he commanded their existence. Verse 6 says, And he established them forever. He set them in place. They are the work of the Lord's command, and they're kept in their place and purpose by his power. And in that way, they praise the Lord in their very being and doing. Psalm 148 suggests there's something more to the creation's praise to the Lord. Verse 14, the very last verse says, God has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. God's people have a special purpose in God's creation. Is that surprising? God made them supreme in his creation. They're set out in a very special way in the creation story in Genesis 1, and God gives them a very special purpose in his creation. That horn that's mentioned in verse 14, it's a metaphor for dignity and fame. 
and it's used in other psalms. For example, Psalm 112 speaks of the righteous man who gives to the poor, and it says his horn is exalted forever. God's people are given a dignity or an honor to praise the Lord. And that honor is to give praise to the Lord on behalf of the rest of creation. The trees, the mountains, the wild beasts, the insects, the fish, all give praise to God by doing what they are created to do, but they don't have a voice. It's kind of like there's this giant choir out there with all of the things in God's creation in it, and they are created to praise the Lord. But the only ones in the choir who can put it into words and song are us, God's people. Like that hymn we sang at the very beginning by St. Francis of Assisi, All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Alleluia, Alleluia. Thou rushing wind that art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heaven long, O praise him, O praise him, Alleluia. The clouds didn't write that. The clouds don't say that. We sing it in the church for them. When we Christians give, uh, when we Christians praise the Lord, we do so on behalf of the rest of creation because God has given us the dignity and honor to do so. Praising the Lord according to the grand narrative of Scripture does the opposite of what the narrative of the self does. It directs us out of ourselves and into God's creation. Now, this doesn't mean that we ourselves don't matter. Of course we matter. God has created us, created us individually. But we ourselves are not the priority when we praise the Lord. Of course, it's first of all God. Praise to the Lord is first of all to the Lord. Secondly, it's for those outside of ourselves And I've mentioned the psalm is speaking of the other parts of the creation. It's also for each other here. As we sing our praise to God, it's it's directed and it's reaching out and speaking for each other, with each other. And it's interesting that the psalm speaks of all kings and all people, young and old, all all over the earth. So maybe this is something I... I uh, thought about when I was writing it, but perhaps we're also speaking it for all those who are unbelievers, all those nations. It doesn't give them an excuse or let them off the hook or anything like that, but they're not praising the Lord. They're not writing these songs. I was driving back from um, Presbytery last week, and I I heard, I I listened to, they have a folk uh, uh, music on Saturday evenings, on, on the uh, public radio station, so I like to listen to that. And uh, this, the theme that night was uh, atheism. And, and the one uh, person writing, he'd written a song for atheists. And uh, you might say a lot of the pop music's for atheists, but this is intentionally for atheists. And he's saying, why is it that the, the church and, and re- certain religions and all that have all the good songs. They have written the good music, you know, Bach, Luther, what, whatever, and our, and our hymns. And atheists haven't come up with anything. So he says they haven't come up with anything until now, and then he goes into it. It's a funny song, actually, just playing away on, the, on their little folk music and, uh, and um, talking about how they can't seem to create good songs. And um, I thought that's interesting. No, you can't. 
It was enjoyable, but it's not going to be a classic. It's not going to run down through the, the ages. So the atheists aren't coming up with those. The people who don't believe in God, don't follow God, are not writing the songs. They're not giving voice to their praise of the Lord like they were created to do. So we're doing that for them. I think that there might be a reason to understand that as well in this psalm. Now then, when you praise the Lord, think about how you're speaking for all those creatures who cannot speak. And you interact with them every day. You, you walk. You walk on the grass. You look at the trees. You see the birds. You play on the hills. And you come here. And you praise the Lord, not by directing your praise back into yourself and getting lost in your own personal experience, but directing your praise outward and catching up and speaking for all those creatures that can't speak. You are the voices for a huge choir of creation. And if that doesn't give you reason to praise, praise the Lord, a, a very profound reason, then you need to go back to the narrative of Scripture and you need to pay attention to that and be aware of how maybe you've picked up that narrative of the self and you need to push that away and instead follow the narrative of Scripture. Sing for the whole creation and praise the Lord. Let us pray. Grant to us, Lord, we pray, your spirit to voice your praise with the church and to perform that honor that you've given us on behalf of your creation. For your glory as our creator, may we give our praise, and for your, your gift of salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives with you and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 659. Let us praise God together.
table where we are met and nourished by the risen Lord, and where we have true fellowship with one another as co-members of Christ's one body. As we heard in the gospel lesson, we hear again, as they are eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as we heard in the Matthew version of that, it went out and sang, they sang the, the uh, psalms of praise and then went out to the garden, um, the Mount of Olives. We welcome to this table all who have been baptized, profess faith in Christ, and are communicant members of the good standing of a Christian church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin, and a determination in reliance upon God's grace to lead a godly life in peace with and love toward your brothers and sisters. Our Christian people today, we have heard that we are to praise God on behalf of the creation. This day we have confessed our sin, we've received the assurance of God's forgiveness, we've heard his call to live in love. So as you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him, and strengthened by this sacrament, speak out praise to the Lord. And come to this meal with joy. Rejoice in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. Be strengthened by his gifts. And find here the grace you need to follow where he leads. Join me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We thank you, Father Almighty, for you alone have created us, and you give us all manner of good things in this life. But especially you have sent your Son Jesus Christ to die upon the cross for us. And this we remember and we also participate in it. We remember that he who dwelt with you became a man joined us in the flesh, that he has taken our life upon himself, that he was obedient to you even as he was delivered up to die, and you have glorified him. He was despised and rejected by men, but you raised him up, and so we glorify him and exalt him who is the author of life, the victor of our salvation. And as we heard in our epistle lesson, voices in heaven singing praise to you, with one great voice, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. And our voices say the same with theirs. We thank you that he who is risen is present with us by the Holy Spirit, because as scripture says, the Lord is the Spirit, is the Spirit who comes forth from the Father and the Son. We pray that your spirit would be upon us, and we ask you to use this bread and this cup so that our eating and drinking may be a communion with Christ and with each other. And in this way, may the new life of the risen Lord be our life both now and forever. We pray in the name of him who sits with you in heaven and does reign with the Holy Spirit, even Jesus Christ our Lord. We offer our thanksgiving with one voice and say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. So this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, shed for you in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this. Do this as often as you drink it in my name. 
Jesus said, I, whoever abides in me, I abide in them, and they have new life. Take and eat this bread, and drink this cup, and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Eternal God, whose Son Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, grant us to walk in His way, to rejoice in His truth, and to share His risen life, who is alive and reigns now and forever. Amen. Final hymn is number 677, Praise the Savior, ye who know Him.
Please be seated, and uh, good morning to you. A um, few, bit, uh, few little bits of information to point out. Um, first of all, we will not have Christian education for the next several weeks. Um, so today, of course, we'll be enjoying our fellowship meal momentarily. Uh, always the, the, the first Sunday of the month is always the hardest for those of us in the back corner to concentrate because of the uh, smells. The, the temptation, smell temptation is not... Uh, always common, but uh, certainly this today it is. So um, next week we will um, be taking, uh, we will not have Christian education, uh, it being Mother's Day, uh, to give those of you wishing to worship together here, uh, but also wishing to spend the day with your mothers, grandmothers, daughters, sons, uh, whomever. Um, and then uh, two weeks from today we will have our first kind of, uh, what are we calling it, congregational uh, conversation, um, and uh, so we'll be starting the process of, of kind of officially talking about what exactly are we looking for um, as we begin a pastoral search. So it's more, um, I would say, like self-assessment uh, in terms of what really matters to us. Uh, our goal in this process is not just to uh, clone Jeff or find something the closest we can to him, but to really kind of start with what do we value the most, what what sort of distinctives do we have here um, that uh, that we are wanting to prioritize as we move forward. And so we'll do this in a couple of different conversations uh, over the next couple of months. So we really encourage everyone to be here um, and uh, and have a voice in that. And that includes people of, of all ages. We see this as something that like we definitely want um, contributions from the full scope of our uh, Providence family. So uh, please be here if you can in a couple of weeks. It'll be um, kind of a guided, you know, here's some prompts to talk about, and we'll kind of break up into some groups and um, and just talk about those things. So uh, please be here for that. Christian education then will resume on the uh, the fourth Sunday of the month in May. Um, yes. I have a good-looking wife. What else would you like? <laughs> what else would you like me to add? <laughs> you mean spending next Sunday with one? Oh, I'm sorry. We're cloning. I'm sorry. Yes, the um, yes. We need not not only a uh, a wonderful fearless leader, but a great uh, first lady, as you I know have always wanted to be titled. Um, yes, beautiful, talented, willing to teach my kids Sunday school, um, adventurous, um, writer of outstanding Christmas letters, and so on. Um, so, uh, does anybody else have, rather than turn this into just the joke show up here, um, does anybody else have anything that they would like to add? All right. Um, and then just briefly pointing out, Thursday Bible study is that, that is this month, I believe, yes? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry, this week, rather. Um, so, Thursday Bible study, and uh, also women's prayer meeting is this week, I believe. Okay. And uh, at uh, the Roberts' house. So, and uh, we would, I believe we have uh, jail ministry this week as well. So if you would lift those up in prayer, uh, that is all I have. So I will green light you to uh, go enjoy some food as soon as we get that, that permission.